0: Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.FriendlyChurch.com. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Welcome to Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. Even though you're live streaming and you're watching online, you are welcome here on behalf of God Almighty. I'm so glad that you are watching with us. But to tell you the truth, I miss you. And I am emotional this morning. Another honest Opening of my heart. Um, I want to say a few words before I go into the message today because I think it's appropriate to do so. Um, I've lived in this country for um, over 20 years now. And this country has helped me to develop into the man that I am today. And about... uh, Seven and a half years ago, I had a wonderful opportunity to be called to serve here at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, I I moved 19 times in my American life, so I moved many places. However, Kentucky and Louisville is becoming the second longest stretch of time of my American life, and I'm proud about it. I want to make it the longest. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Only God knows the future. However, I, I, and and here at Middletown, you all know, we've been through a lot. And uh, but God always showed Himself strong and powerful, and He saw us through. I truly believe in many things that I've been in my life. That God is leading, and if we trust Him, He will see us through, and we will see Him one day, and we'll be with Him one day. In the meantime, we have to face what we have to face. About three months ago, we've been thrown into this pandemic and this lockdown, and the devil did a number on us by making it as much as possible to isolate us as human beings. To close down our churches, to do anything that he could to keep us apart from each other. And during this pandemic, we already had a casualty. We lost Brenda. And I miss her. Anytime, every week when I come to study here at the office, I see her everywhere. And on top of all these things, about a month ago, we've been thrown into, as Sam Asamoa mentioned in his prayer, into the probably the biggest tension, racial tension that I've seen in this country. And uh, earlier this month in my June 4th letter, I really opened up my heart. And um, I've been communicating every week. And we're trying to do our best to communicate anything that uh, is important for you to know that is going on here at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. But that particular week, I did not know what to say, really. And I, yeah, I I had a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. I expressed myself and it's only this past week that I realized that some people, and I don't know how many, there may be more that I can probably figure out now that got offended. And Jesus said, Matthew 12, 37, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And uh, I uh, spoke with one of my seminary retired seminary professors, and he said, Marius, uh, you, you offended <laughs> the Americans. And I said, I didn't mean to. Um, in fact yeah I didn't mean to I expressed myself and what I'm feeling and where I'm standing based on what I see from my own perspective and Thursday in our letters I sent out I sent out I, I just had a disclaimer there. That was the, the, the first part of that email. And if you didn't get it, you can use this to, to refer to. And that is, I would like to. Because I, I don't know who you are. But I do know I can, I can call around. But that's not my job. My job is to connect with you at a personal level. And if I have offended you... Which I'm sure I did. With some, I know not many people were not all, but I know some are offended. Would you please contact me? The best way to contact me is text, and let me know where we can, or where we can meet, or where we, what time we can talk. Uh, I'm glad that someone did yesterday contacted me and uh, did contact me, and and we we had a good conversation. Uh, see, this is, I think, where we are. And uh, if we claim that Middletown is a safe place, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships, we got to be able to talk with each other and listen out and try to understand. And, uh, yeah, you, you may say, you know, Pastor Marius, when you said such and such, makes me feel This way. Because. And that way I know. (laughs) And then we will talk. Because we don't want to. And I don't want to have other spiritual casualties on top of what we're already experiencing. I know if we trust the Lord. And if we work together through this. He will see us through. So please, this week, earlier, uh, as early as convenient for you, please uh, text me. You got my number, five zero two two one zero seven two one six. 7216 Text me and let me know when we can meet or when we can talk. Or when we can just make a phone conversation, if that's more convenient, or FaceTime, whatever that's. Uh, that, uh, that works for you uh, so we can have a healthy conversation. Well, speaking of health, yes, we've got coming up. It's on the screen. Take charge of your health. It is written, is conducting at one week only, every night at 7 p.m., uh, a, um, I would say an intensive teaching on health. And they will be interviewing uh, medical professionals, and they will give you and me a lot of resources that will help us to really take charge of our health. Um, and we, we know these days we really need to so that we can make it through this pandemic and through whatever may come our way. We don't know. So take charge of your, he- of your health. Every night, beginning Monday night at 7 p.m. And um, this Sabbath, this sermon is obviously dedicated to our fathers. Uh, And uh, I want to address our fathers as I start this. Fathers, children go through four stages. First, they called you Dada. Then they grow and they call you Daddy. And then they grow older and they called you Dad. Finally, they call you Collect. Well, at least they call you, right? I'm so happy when Calvin calls me. I drop everything and listen. Because I'm glad. And blessed to be a father to all our fathers who are watching this service today um, happy Father's Day happy Father's Day today our message title Bible portraits of fatherhood let's bow our heads Gracious Father, as we come to you and we want to open your word for us to learn and to be taught, Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts and minds to see in these stories, to see the message that you have for us today. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Evan really covered it for me. That was my introduction story about Sonora. About this lady by the name of Sonora Smart. Her married name is Dodd. She is the one who actually initiated to what we have today, Father's Day her father was uh, Henry Jackson Smart. And of course, uh, his wife died birthing their sixth child. So he was forced to raise all these children, the five that he already had, and the infant by himself on a rural farm in eastern Washington state. So in 1910, she sent those letters out because she believed that her father. When she became old enough to realize what her father did for them, she she truly believed that her father was a courageous man, a selfless man, and a loving man. So, in 1910, she started to send those letters, and uh, for you know, for a national. Father's Day observance. In 1916, President Woodrow Wilson proposed the Father's Day. And there there are a few dates that uh, Evan didn't mention. Uh, It took her 62 years to get what we have today. In 24, President Calvin Coolidge endorsed that idea. In 26, uh, a National Father's Day Committee was formed in New York. In 1956, Father's Day was recognized by a joint resolution in Congress. In 66, President Lyndon Johnson signed a presidential proclamation declaring third Sunday uh, the Father's Day, and in 72, like Evan said, President Richard Nixon established a permanent national observance of Father's Day to be held on the third Sunday of June. There you go. 62 years. To establish a natural Father's Day. I appreciate it. I hope you do too. Today's message is for fathers. And about fathers. And if you're not a father, you're, mostly, you're most likely to have a father. Um, Bible portraits of Fatherhood, And we'll look at four of these portraits. See, the Bible has many portraits, many examples of fathers. In fact, the word father in the King James Version occurs 998 times. But if you take in consideration all the references to fathers in the Bible, they're way more than a thousand. So we'll open our Bibles... To Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And we will learn first from Adam, the father of mankind. See, Genesis chapter 2 is the chapter that gives some details of what happened on the sixth day of creation. Certainly the creation of mankind. See, all species and creatures were created in and verse 18 of chapter 2 says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And what's really fascinating, what fascinates me is that God didn't make, didn't create Eve right then. He knew the need God knew the need. But it was necessary for Adam to discover that need for himself. See, isn't that how God works with us? He sees our needs. And if he were to pour over, what, uh, pour over us what he sees necessary, we would feel controlled Or condemned in his loving wisdom he lets us discover what we need and and he lets us go down our ways until we realize we need supernatural intervention and then he is there for us so what does God do well that Friday of creation week he has Adam take inventory of all the species created and Adam realizes that he needed a helper comparable with him verse 20 of chapter 2 of Genesis so Adam gave names to all cattle to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field but for Adam there was no there was not found a helper comparable him. Verse 21 And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. If you take, if you look, At verse 20, the end of verse 20 and the beginning of 21, there is a lot, and I put them on the screen there for you so it's easy to see, there is a lot that can be speculated between the time when Adam realized he needed a helper and the time God created Eve. One thing is for sure, though, God knew his need and had already a plan, that's we find that in verse 18. So, based on this Bible passage, Genesis 20:18 20, to 24, we see that in order to have a mother and a father, God designed and made the human coupleship. That's how He made mankind. Adam and Eve, male and female, capable of procreation. And relationship capable of procreation yeah that's how we have a mother and a father and speaking of the relationship aspect before Eve was created Adam had a relationship with God only once she was created Adam had two distinct intimate types of relationship. A relationship with God and a relationship with his mate, with his wife, Eve. And things got even better. The first father report we have in the Bible, we find it in Genesis 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And now Adam is a father. Verse 2. And then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Adam is a father. And his circle of relationships expanded to include his creator, his wife, and now his children. Not too long after... Adam is the first father to experience the loss of a child, and not just any loss. Abel, the younger brother, is murdered out of anger by his older brother, Cain. So due to this murder that happened, Cain flees and Abel is dead. But a few verses down, chapter 4, verse 25... We see Adam again being a father, having their third son, Seth. In Genesis 4:25, Moses recorded, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. See, Adam is the first human being, the first one, the first father to have communicated directly with God. Now, we don't know how many total children he had, but in the 800 years after Seth was born, they must have had a good number of them, right? And I can imagine he shared with them Stories about how he walked in the Garden of Eden with God. Children, grandchildren, and great, 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 many are great, grandchildren. Listen to Adam sharing his testimony. Take a look at this slide. Um, Adam, see... Right there on the very top line, you see Adam, who lived 930 years. This is the list of all the patriarchs. You come down to Lamech, and Lamech, who lived 777 years, you see how he overlaps his life with Adam right there? It is possible, most likely, that Adam shared stories directly, what he learned from God, With Lamech. Lamech is the father of Noah. And Noah lived 950 years. 350 years after the flood. 500 before the flood. And Adam is a contemporary to Abram. Can you believe that? When Noah died. Abram was 60 years old. Old. So, in Genesis eleven twenty six, we have baby Abra, Abram, born to Terah. Well, Abram was not Abraham yet. His name will be changed later. That's why I call him Abram, based on what's going on in his life at that time. Abraham is the father of of the lineage of jesus the father of the promise or of the covenant see abram married sarah but she wasn't she couldn't bear children she was barren she couldn't have children however the lord the god of whom abram learned from noah who learned from lamech who learned from adam This God, who is the creator of everything, this God of heaven and earth, comes to Abram while he is living in Haran. And God makes a promise to Abram while he was living in Haran. And uh, he says that through him, through him, all the families of the earth, Will be blessed. Now, if I were Abram at that time, I would have said, Lord, can't you see? I cannot be a father, let alone to multiply at the level you're telling me. What are you talking about? But for the moment, Abram trusted God. See, there are a lot of legends if you read into Mesopotamian mythologies. And you will find legends that are outside of the biblical script or the biblical material. Where Abram was very faithful to the God of heaven and earth. So what happened? He listened to God and he trusted God. He obeyed. And Abram is called to leave his family, to leave his clan, to leave his city, and to take off. Where? Paul tells us in Hebrews 11 that Abram did not know where he will end up. He simply followed God's commandment and left Haran. But Abram is not a perfect father. He's not a perfect man. He shows symptoms of sin, impatience, and control. Taking the matter into his own hands, he ran out of patience. God, you promised this to me. When am I going to be a father? Genesis 16, we have the story of Hagar. It is one of the most breaking stories of a woman who is the maid of Sarah, Abraham's wife. She becomes his wife by their own device plan. And then when she gets pregnant, they let go of her into the wilderness. And when Abraham becomes a father, he does not with his wife, but with Hagar. I believe God allowed this story to be recorded in the Bible to show how much patience and love God has with those whom he calls his children. In spite of what Abraham did, God still kept his promise. In fact... He comes to Abraham when he is under the uh, uh, trees of Mamre. Makes a covenant with him that he, Abram, though he was 99 years of age then, he will have a child through whom the first covenant, the first promise will be made possible. And sure enough, within one year... Within now one year, Abraham is father again. This time with his wife Sarah, who gave birth to their first son when he was in her 90s. Amazing. Miracle. Isaac is a miracle. The miracle of the promise. Isaac is the miracle of The covenant and Abraham is an excited dad. He is the most excited father in the world. But one day, Isaac now is a teenager, and Abraham begins to see the fulfillment of God's covenant made with him. He sees it as it becomes a reality. When he looks at Isaac, and he is proud of him. He loves him. And one day, this God that he trusts so much, this God that he communicates with every day, this God comes to Abraham and asks him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And I can imagine Abraham responding back to God God, what are you thinking? This is the son you gave me by miraculous intervention. And now you're asking me to sacrifice him? Only pagan nations, only those who don't know you, sacrifice their children to man-made gods. But see, Abraham didn't say that. I made that up. He didn't say that. If you read your Bible, there is no transition. Abraham does not comment. He trusts God. See, Abraham now is the father who knows the voice of God better than any other voice. It was clear this was God's voice. It was God's command. And Abraham wakes up Isaac, his son, in the morning. And they start journeying without knowing the exact place where the sacrifice was going to take place. Amazing faith. Amazing trust. Abraham's fatherhood is being tested. Has your faith been tested lately. Abraham was placed in a position to choose from what mattered most to him in this world and God. What would he choose? He chose God. I pray none of us fathers will ever be put in a similar situation The question I want to ask today, is there anything that matters most to you these days that God is asking you to let go of? See, we ought to surrender to him. We got to let go of control. Abraham didn't know the outcome, but he let it go. He trusted God. I've heard stories and stories one after another with people that love their families or that love their kids or that love their children. And God asked them to surrender, to surrender all to him. And when they did, he gave them back to them. That's exactly what happened to Abraham He learned his lesson. He will trust God all the way. And with this trust in God, Abraham made it to the Faith Hall of Fame. Hebrews 11, chapter 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, Abraham was a father of a tenacious faith. So I challenge you fathers today. I challenge myself to be a father of a tenacious faith like Abraham. Like Abraham. And through him, through the seed of Isaac, Messiah was supposed to come. His name is Jesus. I want to stop for a few moments to look at Jesus' father here on earth. At Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Before actually we're going to look at his heavenly father. Joseph, the father of Jesus. I know you heard many, many, many sermons on Christmas time about him. But did you realize... That in Matthew 1 verse 18, that verse suggests Joseph is the adopted father of Jesus. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. I never thought of Joseph as a stepfather or adopted father of Jesus. But truly, that's who he was. Yet he was a just man. Matthew called him so in the following verse. He did not want to put Mary in disrepute. And though he knew what was going on, that she is pregnant with Jesus, he took her as if nothing happened. See, Joseph is the protector for the mother of Jesus. And he is a protector father to baby Jesus himself. Both times Joseph received commands or instructions in a dream, he faithfully obeyed. He fled to Egypt, to a foreign country, to save baby Jesus. Then again in a dream, he's informed that it is time to return to Nazareth And he does so. Again, much can be speculated about Joseph. But from the very few Bible verses we have about him, he is definitely a special father. I just took a few notes and I want to share them with you. Joseph is just and fair. Joseph is a courageous father He is a father who knows the scriptures. And because Joseph is the father who knows the scriptures, his family benefits from that. He's an obedient man, obedient to God, and obedient to those in position of authority. He is diligent, open-minded, and always, always, Joseph is a protector father. Now, when Jesus grew up, to become a young man, and when he began his ministry, Jesus taught people using parables in order to make a point or to teach a lesson. One famous parable that we all know is the parable of the prodigal son. And many preachers and readers focus their attention on the lost son. And that's true. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate. I want to say that the father in this parable fascinates me for several reasons. The story is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. The father has no name. He's a humble. Yet he is fair. When the youngest son comes up to him and asks for his inheritance, that alone could have could have uh, uh, could have been taken as offensive, and could have set the father on defensive mode and not grant the request. However, this father is a fair, loving father. Verse twelve. Verse twelve. Says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all, all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted. What did he do? He wasted his possessions. Well, actually, they were not his. He inherited them, he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Verse 14 But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15 Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He was a Jew. He was supposed to feed swine. He didn't like it. And he was so hungry. Verse 16 says. Luke 15, 16. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But. Verse 17. But when he came to himself. He said... How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, and he arose and came to his father. Now I want to I want to ask you this: What do you think made this young man to think it's okay to go back home? What made him think it's okay to go back home? What is safe to go back home? I believe the reason he had the courage to go back home is because of his father. He knew his father the way his father was. He knew before he left that his father is a fair and just man. He is a loving, merciful, and gracious man. He's not vengeful. He's not retaliatory. His father is a good man. And based on his knowledge of his father before he left, he realized that his best option to survive is to go back to his father, to go back home. And look what's going on, home. Was he right about this? Oh, yes, he was. He was. Verse 20. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. How come? That tells me that his father was waiting for him to return home every day. His father was hopeful that his son one day might come back. And when he saw him, he had what? He had compassion. My friends, fathers, this father is a compassionate father. What is compassion? Well, the dictionary defines compassion as a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. This father was having compassion for his son. He saw his misery. He saw his humiliating posture. And his heart was filled with loving pity, grace, and mercy towards his son. And this is what the father did. This is what the father did when he saw his son. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I want you to know that in their culture, no older person runs to the younger. No older person bows to the younger. The older person receives respect and veneration. But the father did not care about the norms of the culture. The father did not care about what others may say, seeing him running to his son. He just ran and fell on his neck. He did what the son should have done. He humbled himself and kissed him. The son fell loved By the father again. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See how things work? Humility creates humility. Love stirs up love. The son's response is just as humble and honest as his father's love for him. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. It is time to celebrate, verse 23, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. My friends, that Is the father of the prodigal son, and he represents our heavenly father, compassionate father. Let's look at what this father did. Everything he did is what our heavenly father does for us. See, God, our heavenly father, is the father who runs. Jesus paints this picture of a father waiting desperately for his misbehaving son to return. He fixed his eyes on the horizon. Maybe he will see his son returning, and when he does, he he does the most undignified thing for a wealthy man. He runs to him. He runs to him. See, God is not cold calculating engineer of the universe who set the whole, uh, the whole creation in motion and now sits back and watches it work and once in a while tinkers with it to make sure things go alright. No. God is passionately involved with His creation and He is passionately involved with us. He is our Father, not our engineer. Just Like the good shepherd searches for the one lost sheep. Our God is a father who runs. Our father is the father who searches. When Adam and Eve sinned and turned away from God. What was God's first question to Adam? Where are you? My child left my presence. Adam, where are you? Some of you might think. That you are searching for God. But God, your heavenly father, is searching for you. He runs towards you. Don't hide. Let him find you. Our heavenly father is the father who forgives. We so much want to have a formula in which we say the right words in our prayers. Or or do the right services or rituals so that we can stir or please or appease God to forgive us. But this story blows up any formula. The son has gone over his repentance over and over again in his mind as he makes the journey home. I can imagine that. He's saying to himself, Father, I have sinned against you both heaven and you and i'm no longer worthy of being called by your son please take me on as a higher servant and he he says that over and over again he thinks that he needs to appease his father and when he finally gets home he discovers that the father has already forgiven him that is how our heavenly father is my friends we must get this god wants us to be forgiven of everything that we've done wrong he desperately wants to restore our relationship with him he wants to remove any barrier that will separate us from him god did not wait until we came and asked for forgiveness to make a plan of salvation no he didn't say oh they, 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 they like to be forgiven. I guess I better send a son to, to die for them. No. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Our God is the Father who forgives. I am the God who forgives your sins and remembers them no more, God says. My friends, that is our Heavenly Father, a Father who forgives. God, our Heavenly Father, is a Father who embraces. For some of us, we shape our image of God from our earthly fathers, and I know I did. And I had a distorted image of God. For some of us, our Father was distant, never touching, never saying, I love you. I want to tell you, this Father's Day weekend, that our Heavenly Father is a father who truly embraces you. He is so ready to embrace that the son who had to confess his wrongdoing, muffled by his father's embrace, your your heavenly Father embraces you today. Max Locato uh, has a book with the large title, Just Like Jesus. And the small prints read, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. The the reason this prodigal son left home for a far off country was to misbehave. And when he comes back home, he knows that he's returning not just to good food and a warm bed. He is also returning to the holy lifestyle that his father leads. God created us to live holy lives. And when we do live that way, we not only hurt. When we don't don't live that way, we not only hurt ourselves, we hurt God. Holy living is the way we were created to live. The healthiest way to live. Take charge of your health, by the way, coming up Monday night. You'll learn more about that. Our Heavenly Father is constantly pursuing us, forgives us, and He also lifts us out of the sin that separated us from Him in the first place. He knows that sin is killing us and it is his hope to get rid of the sin from our lives that's why he gives us new clothes he calls us to keep them clean with his help because god wants to celebrate with us god is the father who celebrates all three stories that jesus tells in response to the pharisees judgment of the sinners and in celebration the the shepherd rejoices over the other shepherds who uh, rejoices with, with the other shepherds over the found sheep the woman gathers her friends around to rejoice over the found coin and the father throws an extravagant party and invites even the older son to join in if you are a christian god through a party in your honor when you first came to Jesus, and there is going to be one big celebration at the end. It is called the wedding wedding feast of the Lamb. We're going to talk about that celebration next Sabbath. We are invited, my friends. We are invited in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? When the roll is called up yonder. Jesus is not going to say when he comes to letter M, Marius, I barely passed you. Try to do better up here. No, he is going to present me without fault. And with great joy to his father and my heavenly father. And then, my friends... We are going to celebrate, no matter who you are today, father, mother, son, or daughter, in the end, we are all the children of our Heavenly Father. Would you celebrate this truth with me this weekend, rejoicing that you and I have a Heavenly Father who is looking out for us, who has forgiven us, and is ready to come back to take us home with Him. I challenge you to let everyone know tomorrow, on Father's Day, let them know that you have a heavenly Father. Happy Father's Day. Amen.